0: Some
1: podcasts do it for the fun. Some do it for the fame. Chad and Cheese, they do it for global effing domination. That's right, bringing America to its knees was just the beginning. Now, they have their eyes set on conquering Europe, and they've
2: drafted industry veteran Levan von Neuerhauser of Belgium to help them navigate
1: the old country and bring HR's most dangerous podcast across the pond to trash talk like never before not safe for work in any language the chad and cheese podcast does europe oh, and that's how you do an intro boys and girls you are <laughs> listening to the first ever episode of the chad and cheese podcast oh my god does europe i'm your co-host joel cheeseman i'm chad he had a heart attack so wash <laughs> and on this episode Leaving, you're supposed to say this is Levin von whatever.
3: (laughs) Okay, I'm going to say it myself because if you do it, I'm Levin von Neuenhausen.
1: All right. And on this episode, how do you say gig in French? So that's why I can't get a decent fish and chips anymore. And Facebook doesn't care about your old world privacy laws. Sending a whole continent back to the dark ages. This is the Chad and Cheese Podcast Does Europe. It's got to be better than Disneyland Paris, right?
0: European, talent, intelligence. What does it mean? Imagine a world where it's easier for you to find and know your target group. Where it's easier to recruit and attract the talent you need from a European talent pool. Every year, thousands of corporate recruiters, HR departments and intermediaries rely on intelligence group to make that dream a reality. Intelligence Group is the European market leader in recruitment talent intelligence with innovative dashboards and tailor-made research in 28 European countries. It is our job to empower you as a state-of-the-art, data-driven recruitment business partner. Recruiting with data is great. Recruiting with Intelligence Group is better. Learn more about our services at intelligence-group.nl. Intelligence Group, market leader in European talent intelligence.
2: Europe has a bunch of countries in it. <laughs> I'm so excited. Europe show number Let's do one. This, Chad. And we're gonna get we're gonna give the people what they want, god damn it. They don't want us to talk about NFL football, so my first shout-out goes to UEFA 2020.
1: This is a soccer-free podcast. We cannot say soccer on this show football so this is a big deal right yeah i like the world cup this feels like i don't know world cup jv or light i don't i don't quite understand what's going on with this tournament
3: this is of the countries actually knowing how to play football okay you have argentina as well i could argue for argentina brazil but then the us shouldn't be part of any tournament <laughs> i guess
1: so it's like world cup with just european countries
3: yeah, yeah. And
1: it's like a primer for the World Cup, which is next year, right? Is that next year the World Cup?
3: Yeah, maybe it is. Normally it's two years at the UK uh, European Tournament, and then it's the World Cup, and then it's Europe each two years. But now we lost a year, so maybe it's next year. It could be.
1: Okay. Yeah, probably. So I know England won. What what else is going on? What are, what are the updates? Uh, here's here's the big update.
2: Christian Eriksson of Denmark this uh-huh. fucking heart stopped. Kid's twenty nine years old. Heart stopped on the fucking oh, yeah. field.
1: I did see that.
2: Yeah, one of his teammates actually came over, started doing CPR on him. They had to use fucking defibrillator paddles. I mean, uh. Denmark. They were a heavy favorite over Finland, and obviously that outcome didn't didn't work. But I mean, this. I mean, just took over all of the news streams, and it was it was ridiculous.
1: Did the dude live?
2: Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he lived. Right. Luckily, he's 29 and in good shape. And they had, uh, you know, they had defibrillator battles there. But uh, Denmark had 22 shots on goal. Finland had one. And Finland won the match 1 0. <laughs> it's all about efficiency.
3: Yeah. Jesus. That is, I guess it's yeah. a
1: win for socialized medicine that they saved the guy. America would have, I guess, thrown him into a grave and said, uh, Nice knowing you. I don't know. He, he's the guy has money. Where's your insurance card? Where's your insurance card? No. All right. Sorry.
3: His, his sponsors will be happy. A lot of attention. Lot, yeah. <laughs> sponsors.
1: What a European thing to say. The sponsors will be happy that it got so much attention.
2: I have to say that uh, probably not the greatest day since uh, Adam Gordon is always wanting us to talk about football. And uh, Scotland just got fucking trounced. <laughs> 2-0 by
1: the Czech Republic. My man let his whole company off today, I think, to watch the game. That was. No, that's the England game on Friday. That's the one oh, I think okay. really
2: matters. <laughs>
1: Who's favored to win this thing? Who's favored to win? Who's who's the best?
2: I got to say, Belgium and Italy really kicked ass and took names, but leaving, I mean, who's who are, who are you putting your chips on?
3: Do you know who's actually number one at this point in the world ranking of the national teams? It's Belgium. Belgium is number one. This is weird, but it is. So if you're ever going to win a big tournament, it will be this time. And we are always humble and polite, etc. But now I feel we might actually have a chance with this team. We're Scotland in the rankings. Welcome to all things Scottish. Our slogan is if it's no Scottish it's crap. <laughs> are they
1: are they going to are they going to are they going to compete in this thing or what? Nah. No. <laughs> Levin said he he didn't even know Czech Republic had a, had a football team. Adam Gordon is on suicide watch as we're as we speak, so we shouldn't be too mean. He was really offended. We did a show recently uh Levin, I don't know if you heard, but it's one of our UK friends said that HR tech in Europe is about five years behind America, to which we talked about on that podcast while Adam chimed in and said that was bullshit and that in some cases they're even ahead of, Europe is ahead of America in terms of of HR technology. Where do you stand on Europe versus the US in terms of where we are with HR tech?
3: 10 years ago, I would have agreed. 10 years ago, we did have something of a lack, but now we don't anymore. So you say equal? Probably, yeah. and I think we should watch Asia, not the US. <laughs> Did you say
1: Asia, not the US?
0: Oh, hell no!
3: <laughs> no, I guess really. Uh, the Middle East, maybe. Uh, Israel, for example, is doing great, they are really yeah. innovative. Yeah. We used to look up at the U.S. for uh, HR tech, but I don't think big innovations are coming from the U.S. at this point. But I could be wrong, of course.
1: Well, we're, we're going to come together on yeah. this show and figure that all out. Just like the G7 I'm- meeting that's going on over in Europe. I'm sure you guys missed Trump pushing away everybody to get in front of the line and in front of the picture, the cameras, right?
3: We have Joe Biden now in Belgium. He's in Brussels today.
1: And what's the mood there in in Brussels with uh, our new president visiting
3: everyone agrees it's an improvement i guess
1: <laughs> that's not saying much i mean seriously
3: <laughs> no but okay he's his fart old to be of any use but uh, he's your president so we should be respectful i feel
2: <laughs> all right get off the ageism already
3: jesus christ leave him uh, of course not he's experienced and he will do <laughs> you're a whole,
1: your whole <laughs> continent of old people and museums like really you're bringing up ageism
3: no, no you're right we are the old continent you're Right.
1: right. The old world is a bunch of ageists. Who knew? Are you kidding me? They're they're all biased. Uh, <laughs> so
2: somebody who's not biased, though, is uh Djokovic, who uh beat uh Titsipots in the French Open to win his second career grand slam. So that was pretty freaking amazing. That was an awesome match. Uh Djokovic was down Two sets, was pretty much have, getting his ass handed to him, but he's he's a machine, and uh, came back and won the next three sets, knocked him out. So uh, big props to to Djokovic on that. That dude is a machine. I thought back in the day, McEnroe, Connors, Borg, Becker,
1: those guys were like machines. Yeah. Lendl, Lendl, right? Not even close to this dude. I mean, if 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 we're going back in time, Chad, with with our our generation, I mean, that was sort of my first taste of what Europe was uh, growing up like Wimbledon. Was it like the first thing I saw sporting Love event it. in Europe, I think? Yeah. Beyond Borg was this like Nordic God with long blonde hair taken on this <laughs> scrappy, you know, New York, New, Yorker, uh, yeah. New York uh, McEnroe. Um, so and, and even uh, on the women's side as well. So Europe. My first taste of Europe was really through, I think, tennis. Dude, and still today, it's the epicenter of uh, all things tennis. In those cases, Graf just fucking annihilated people. Man,
2: she just killed people. Now, her and Agassi have kids. I, I want to mm-hmm. see what's going to happen with them. <laughs>
1: Yeah, let's bring the the mullet back, the Agassi mullet. That's I, I want to see these kids with some long ass mullets playing but tennis. But
2: none of those guys, none of those guys, really—they I mean, weren't as prolific as Federer and Djokovic. These two are just—I mean—they've just blown everybody out of the water. And again, yeah. there are no Americans to be seen at all on the men's side. On the women's side, we
1: got plenty, but nothing on the men's side. Which is a little surprising. Speaking of uh, football, European football, if we can't say soccer, I'm not sure what I'm going to call it. Uh, Football. Yeah, Americans are lagging in quite a few uh, sporting areas, tennis being another one. Yeah, you did have those sisters. The Williams sisters, they're not too shabby. (laughs) You mentioned two Grand Slams. What's Serena have, like seven?
3: Uh, I loved Anna Konikova. I stopped watching the moment she stopped playing.
1: <laughs> I, I can't imagine why. Yeah. I can't imagine why. Yeah. Uh, do
3: you know the biggest uh, Belgian tennis players like Kim Kleisters, for example?
1: Oh, yeah. Kim Kleisters.
3: Yeah. She was Anna Kornikova before Anna Kornikova. Oh, well, whatever. I'm not going to talk tennis. <laughs> I made myself useful and I was going to talk about HR tech. So let's do that.
1: Okay. Topic. All right. Topic. So let's start with Malt. The marketplace for freelance developer services has raised $97 million in a Series C led by Goldman Sachs and Eurozio. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Uh, reportedly at a now $489 million valuation. The Parisian, that's Paris for those Americans listening. Uh, the Parisian firm plans to use the funding to fuel expansion across Europe and to the U.S. It claims 250,000 registered freelancers and 30,000 businesses Using its service. So let's talk gig economy from a European perspective. Levin, do you know Malt? Are you using it? What's your take on the whole uh, freelancer nation over there in Europe?
3: I do know Malt. We never used it. I can't say I have, but I do know it. And um, I checked our website the moment I heard about the raising of the 97 million, well, it's about 80 million in euros. We talk euros, this is a European show. I'm not sure about them. They focus on data scientists, developers, designers, et cetera, And that's perfect, I guess. And those are the pro- the profiles you'll be able to place. But I feel their approach is just like a digital version of an original basic Temping agency, they put some profiles online and then as a recruiter, you can say, I have a project, I'm going to propose it to one of those profiles, but basically they don't do much more than what LinkedIn is doing. And then I feel those kind of companies will have a problem. The moment LinkedIn is going to launch their uh, workplace or what's it going to be called in November, I I thought, because LinkedIn has 750 million users. And of course, not all of them are freelancers, but 750 million and Malt claims they have about 250,000 freelancers. Yeah. Which is a lot, of course. It's a lot. And, and they only launched in France and in Germany and in Spain, I feel. Yep. But uh, it's still only 250,000. So if companies like, like LinkedIn are going to launch something similar, it's just easier to use a big player, I think. So I'm,
1: I'm surprised you ha- you didn't say Upwork or Fiverr in your comments. Are they Are they established in Europe and used well or not?
3: Yes, and they are a different approach, I feel. Fiverr, for example, I kind of love Fiverr. They offer something totally different. They sell projects. They don't sell people. They sell projects. And if you are a designer, you can say, I'm going to build your logo for $5. And that's where Fiverr comes from, and the name Fiverr. But um, that was a great approach. It was something new. It was refreshing. But I feel in this case, it's just a website offering people and those people charge an hour and a daily rate sorry not an hour alert a daily rate about 500 euros for a, a developer something like that and that's the same thing that's been happening for ages but um, i've never used them so maybe they are extremely efficient i don't know could be but they should have a reason for existence if they don't find something new they probably be forgotten within a few years.
2: What what I'm hearing is if you have the same people pretty much categorically that LinkedIn does, you might as well just go ahead and just cut bait now uh, instead of like Fiverr because Fiverr's more on the lower end for for the most part. They do a it's couple changing. of things. Yeah, yeah, they're they're trying to, but they still have this race to the bottom kind of methodology mm-hmm. where people don't get paid shit to do anything. Uh, so I don't see LinkedIn going that way. I see Fiverr still being, you know, kind of like the bottom feeder of the uh, of the group. What should companies do? I mean, you guys actually have a remote platform, or actually a, a gig platform yourself. What are you guys doing differently to wall off against and create moats against LinkedIn?
3: Let's just for one second go back to Malt. And I was thinking they launched in countries, and it's normal. We are European, we, we think in countries. Yeah. But Fiverr launched globally they started in uh, in israel i think but a few years later they were in, in in san francisco and germany and everywhere but it's basically it's just a global concept its a website and you can enter it and you can sell your projects and the projects are made by someone in in pakistan or india or whatever but you don't really care you just get your project delivered and here they Sell people, which is okay. It's great, but then if you want to make it succeed, you'll have to do something different than the big players like LinkedIn will do. We also have some some digital platforms within our group, uh, and I'll launched them ourselves. We didn't buy them, and some are actually getting really successful. But building them ourselves, we had to launch them gradually. We had to launch them starting in Belgium and then the Netherlands and then France and Germany, etc. Right, just building up, and. Sometimes I feel, I'm not sure how Fiverr did it, but they launched like globally at once. Yeah.
2: That's because there was a huge gap. I mean, that was, and they did it, how many years ago did Fiverr launch? I mean, being, being uh, they weren't first to market, yeah. but they, they were pretty early to market. What about the companies like Adeco who are not building? Uh, they are buying, they bought Vettery and then they bought Hire.com. What about that segment? Because again, you kind of have this, uh, we see what's working or we see what's on the clearance rack. Let's go buy that and try to use that in our space.
3: Yeah, it's a problem. It's an advantage. Other and Randstad, they are huge. They have about uh, twenty-eight million, billion revenue. So they can buy, I guess, basically whatever they want. And sometimes I feel it's like killing their innovation spirits because they're so big Whenever some youngster comes up with a great idea, he has to ask his boss, and his boss says, Yeah, that's a good idea, talk to that one, and he's going to talk to someone else. And after talking to a lot of people, another company has done it. So I feel the moment you get too big, you are going to kill your innovational spirit. So those companies, they buy and they look in the markets, and whoever has proven to be successful can be bought. If you pay enough, you'll buy them like Vettery, I don't know. what other I go pay $100 million, I don't know. What I do know is uh, Randstad, for example, buying in, in 2015 um, Monster, for example, Monster Bart, 327 million euros, if I'm correctly, uh-huh. in 2015. And at that time, I thought, what does Randstad know that I don't? Why do they pay so much money for something <laughs> outdated? And then in the end, uh, apparently they didn't know anything. They just paid a lot for a business, which has been losing money ever since, I believe. But um, that's a problem. You never get fired for hiring IBM, they say. And it's true if you buy a company which has been proven to be successful, yeah, they can't blame you if it goes broke afterwards but i think you should buy a company whenever it's going to to start growing and or you have to launch it yourself and that's something we are a two billion dollar company instead of 28 billion so mm-hmm. there still is a big gap but we have the leverage to launch our own projects and to fund them well and to have them promote it but we still do them do it ourselves we have a do-it-yourself spirit mm-hmm. and sometimes it pays off we launch a lot of projects which never will be huge but from time to time we have a great great something and for example I was talking about monster monster was a once it was a project from TMP worldwide and then it outgrew the mother company yeah Yeah. but uh bought it too late and that's the whole chain you have to buy at the right time which is obvious Or you have to launch it yourself and sell at the right time. And so I'm going to give an example. Last week, we launched a company in France, now Jobs. It was already existing a few years in Belgium. We launched it in the Netherlands, now also in France. And it's a platform, totally um, smartphone-based, to match people looking for a job right now students for example you say i want to go out tonight i need a job right now because i don't have any money left that's the whole point so where can i wash some dishes at what restaurant in my region and you can just check the jobs which become vacant now and you apply and everything is arranged automatically but mostly in those uh, back in the days and when students worked at some small restaurant Uh it was just too much of a hassle for the restaurant owner. If you want to hire someone for one day to uh, to replace your bartender who was ill, yeah, you just don't fill in the paper. You don't even know how to do it. Right but now with the app relaunched, everything was done automatically. So those people are glad to pay their taxes. They don't care about paying taxes. They just don't want to hassle.
2: I mean, it's totally on-demand talent, is what you're saying. You don't have to go through all the, the back office bullshit administration.
3: Exact, And that's the, the whole point. You have to offer some convenience. And that's, in my opinion, what a successful labor platform should offer is convenience it has to be easy to use. It has to be sure as, as a worker, you have to be sure you're, you'll get your money. And then they, they offer something different, but not just uh, the matchmaking, which every company has been doing for years. Then it's just translating old business into yeah, a new way of explaining it, I guess.
1: Let me ask a, a question. You mentioned the rollout of this product. And I think that Americans don't have a real sense of how you guys sort of prioritize where you grow as a company. In the U.S., obviously, you can be in the U.S. and you, you conquer. You're, you're in multiple states, right? But if you're growing a, a company, you know, our, our route is usually, well, you got to be in New York, you got to be in San Francisco, then we're going to go to Chicago. Like, big cities, to me, it would seem logical if you were launching in Europe, like, okay, well, UK is huge, Germany's huge, but the rollouts tend to be, you know, we're in Belgium and then we're in France and then we went to Spain. Like what is, what is typically the rollout for companies in Europe in contrast to what the US sort of sees as a normal rollout plan?
3: Huh. I think it depends on where you launch from. For example, if you're a French company, and you're Paris based, it's probably easy for you to go to the to to Belgium, to the Belgian markets and to Luxembourg because of the same languages.
1: Language based. Okay.
3: Yeah. Language is sometimes it's a problem. I mean, we have 27 countries within the European Union with 25 official languages. And if you're an American company and you launch in Europe, it's perfectly okay to launch an English websites because you're American. But if we would launch a project in Belgium, we do not do it in Dutch and French then people would be offended. So it's the same thing if you launch in Denmark or in Scandinavia or wherever, in Finland, you have to use the language of the country you're launching in. Language is still a, a different thing.
1: So springboarding off of that, part of the Malt uh, capital raise is to come to America. What are your thoughts on that? The success rate isn't very high. You mentioned Ronstadt buying Monster. That seems to be the only route that works. If you were giving Malt advice on coming to America, what advice would you give them?
3: Hmm. Talk to you guys, I guess. <laughs> get surrounded by specialists to know the market because it's it's all it sounds nice and we're going to buy an office in a silicon valley and we're going to launch a big and then we'll we'll take the the american market and it's huge but it's a different market you have to work with local people knowing the local legislation the local way of work <laughs> even the local language and we all speak english but we don't speak it as well as you do and it's a different kind of english mm-hmm. uh, we learned it at school and you speak sometimes your your business uh, language is different so you have to work with local people i feel in most cases
4: everyone deserves their best job that's what fiji stands for we make a big difference for independent recruiters with the strength of our fast-growing
1: recruiter network
4: at fiji you can be your best self and work for the company you'd like whenever
1: and wherever we support you with the best digital and online recruitment marketing We offer
4: professional business development support, recruitment specialist training, and a bit of rebellious network meetings. Let's join strengths and help more professionals find the job they love. Celebrate recruitment and join Fiji at FYGI.NL.
2: Europe has a bunch of countries in it.
1: Let's talk about the talent crunch uh, going on, and I guess all over the world, but certainly in, in Europe as well. So, this is a story out of the UK. So, as the UK economy emerges from the effects of the pandemic, Various sectors are reporting shortages of staff. The lockdown easing has prompted employers to start recruiting. UK job vacancies have hit their highest level since the start of the pandemic. Yet, puzzlingly, the latest employment figures show one in 20 people who want a job can't find one. Hospitality, for example, is struggling to find staff and there is a shortage of Lorry drivers, which I guess are truck drivers. In the words of Kate Nichols, chief executive of trade body at UK hospitality, the sector has, quote, the wrong workers in the wrong place at the wrong time. So, what's going on with the talent crunch in Europe?
3: And by talent crunch, you mean what we call war for talent? Is it the same thing? Pretty much. Okay. Okay. So for those not American listeners today, Talent Crunch is something like...
2: Well, it's funny because you guys are about five years behind us in terms. We stopped using that about five years ago.
3: <laughs> okay. So maybe in that case, you are five years behind. But of course, we only use our own languages. So we don't speak about for talent. Whatever. Okay. Um, talent Crunch and you cape. But the UK, of course, has a different problem today. That's the Brexit. Let's say you're a a truck driver or a lawyer, lawyer driver, as they call it, in the UK. Then you have to... And let's say you come from Poland, because most truck drivers were from the East European countries. They still are. And then suddenly there was Brexit and you had to leave the country. Or you didn't have to leave the country, but you have to fill in so many documents You might as well think, okay, I'm going to work in Germany or France or uh, Italy or wherever wherever, because everyone is looking for truck drivers. So I think those um, fancy talent crush thing is getting bigger in the UK than in the rest of Europe because of the combination of COVID and Brexit. Well,
1: it sounds like immigration is a huge part of the shortfall. And and, uh, you and I have talked about it sort of offline yeah. And it sounds like that's affecting a lot of European countries with, with COVID and, you know, borders closing. What countries in Europe are going to come out best in terms of immigration and where are immigrants going to move to, to sort of fill in these these voids of, uh, of job openings?
3: People move from the East to the West, because basically in the West, people still make more money, even though in Central European countries, it's almost the same as in Western Europe. But... Definitely, five years ago, you could make more money in Belgium than in Poland, for example. Mm-hmm. So, people who were skilled skilled workers were hired in Poland and in Romania and in uh, Lithuania, Lithuania, etc. And they were brought to Belgium, where they got a contract from a Belgian or a, a Dutch a Dutch company, mm-hmm. and they worked for Dutch or French or, 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 or German companies. And that's okay; there's no problem because for those people, it was a good thing. They made more money, they saved a bit, and then they went home in some cases, or they stayed, whatever. But of course, the problem was just moving because those people in Poland were losing their skilled workers, and they had to search for new skilled workers. So they had to look even more to the East. And migration is a—it's not a thing from the past. It will, it will always stay. But I feel in the US, you have one legislation, and I think, I might be wrong, but there's not a big difference in salary between the North and the South, I guess. Maybe if you work in New York or in, in Silicon Valley, you'll make more yeah. for the same job. But basically, it's about the same thing. But in Europe, it isn't the case. Uh, and definitely in Eastern Europe, which used to be uh, before the fall of the the Soviet Union, it's, it's a totally different way of working.
1: So it's more about it's more about money than it is border sort of openness. Like you mentioned the US and once you're in the US, you can go to any state pretty easily and each state competes, you know, on various levels. But I think there's the impression that in Europe you know, there's a border on every country, but you're saying it's anyone can go pretty much anywhere. It's just a matter of yeah. money and where they want to get the most.
3: Except the UK. But in the European Union, it is, of course, okay. if you have the, the Schengen. I'm not sure if you know the the deal, the Schengen agreement.
1: So the UK is proper fucked for their uh, immigration policy is what you're saying. Okay.
3: Or royally fucked. <laughs> Think they really are fucked, (laughs) but uh, I'm sure the Scottish guy you were talking about, Adam, what's his name, uh, had a good reason to vote for the Brexit. If he did, I'm not sure. Welcome to all things Scottish. Our slogan is: If it's no Scottish, it's crap.
1: (laughs) So how much do uh, how much? So in the U.S., obviously, we talk a lot about unemployment benefits and a lot of you know COVID and healthcare, childcare. It sounds like from some of the articles I read that furloughs, workers being furloughed and staying home, was still an issue that ends in september what are your thoughts on sort of the furloughs ending and how that'll impact people going back to work
3: uh, what's the furlough
1: so furlough hmm. is when you're you're paid to stop work like you go home you're, you're furloughed so you can go home and you're still paid
3: like you're you right by the
1: government in this case
3: i know, of course well um, we have people making a career out of it we have <laughs> for example third generation uh furloughs how do you say it? Uh, furloughs yeah our social security is that good that some people can make the most out of it which is a problem yeah once again yeah. I, I love our social security we need it and that's it's a good thing but in some cases people take advantage from it and they shouldn't let's
2: transition over into remote workers real quick because you know obviously there's a huge shift in all these jobs that we were told for years that you could never do from home and guess what covid came and everybody could magically do them from home and now Mm -hmm. they don't want to go back to the office is is anyone surprised and how big of an issue is this going to be for europe are companies going to force people back into the office, or are they going to focus on more hybrid and autonomy?
3: Well, I can't speak for the whole of Europe here, and I can't speak for every company, but my impression is that companies as well as employees are discovering the benefits. Because, for example, there's a major um, telecom company in Belgium, And they announced they're going to close down half of their offices because it turned out people could actually work from home and they liked working from home and uh, they were as productive as before. So they just uh, are going to stop renting all those offices, which is a good thing for both parties. So I think in many cases, people will, uh, it will be hybrid. it's a cliche, but uh, people will work a few days from home and a few days at the office. They'll be at the office when needed. They work from home, home when possible. Yeah. I, for myself, um, used to have a commute of four hours a day, which is totally ridiculous. Wow!
0: Oh hell no!
3: Yeah, and 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 it was the only moment when I was able to listen to your podcast. So I don't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I made the most out of it. I was sitting in my car listening to Chat and Cheese, and I learned a lot, really. I learned a lot. But um, I'm positive about it. It's going to be a good
4: thing.
1: It's definitely going to have a a European flavor, right? So uh, the right to disconnect is now a thing um, in, in, in the news as well. So the pandemic has left workers especially burnt out. So addressing the problem has never been more critical. Ireland... Is trying to do just that with uh, uh, with what they're calling the right to disconnect legislation. As of sev- as of April seventh, Irish workers have the right to not routinely perform work outside normal working hours. Will not be penalized for refusing to attend to work matters out of hours, and they'll have a duty to respect another person's right to disconnect. This is unfathomab- unfathomable in America. What's up with right to disconnect?
3: Are we into this? Uh, I think it's obvious your right to disconnect. The moment you step into your car, uh, let's, I don't see the difference really before COVID. If you were at the office, you were connected and then you left the office, you got into your car, you drove home and then you were disconnected. And now you just start working from home and during office hours, you're connected. And after office hours, you just stop being connected and if you're swimming, well, you won't answer your phone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what a European mentality. Yeah. That, that would not fly here.
3: In Denmark, they're talking about a four days, uh, week, working week. And in and, and Belgium, people are asking for it as well. Yeah. So um, I yeah. guess uh, not being connected as a. Uh, yeah, sometimes- apparently
1: first appeared in France in 2016, Italy in 17 and Spain in 18. So this is a concept that's definitely taking hold of the continent.
2: Trying to stay in the normal context of office hours is kind of like where we have the issue because many individuals work better at different times and you know, kids come home maybe the kid come home you know like at 3 3 p.m i don't want to take any any email at that time i want to take them after six right as long as i'm getting my project done and i'm doing my work i should you shouldn't have to tell me what time to get it done unless i have to obviously be on a zoom call so i think it's the the autonomy
1: and the flexibility that uh is the issue here i think it's also your the your level of a uh, level whatever your title is right like i'm sure you know you know, if you're a manager, or a developer, you know you're not going to be expected to answer a, t- a text or a message at nine o'clock at night. Whereas if you're an SVP or a president, I think you're expected to to be there. In most cases, I I mean, I've been on vacation and been hit up in the past and expected to answer and have a conversation.
3: I'm going on holidays the third of July, and I will bring my laptop, of course. And and if someone needs me, I will. They will be able to reach me, but. It's normal. I mean, if you're very ambitious, you work hard and you work more than you strict, strictly should just to make a difference with other people working less hard. And that's the basic of your, your career, I guess. I always tell my students, it's a five, the first five years, which will make the difference. And then you have to work much harder. And then you'll stick out of the crowd and you'll get recognized and you'll be promoted probably and, and you'll grow. And... I still remember an interview with um, a top manager from a big bank. And they asked him, you are the CEO of a major bank, a financial institution. You probably work day and night. He said, no, hell no. I used to work day and night when I was just graduating. But now I'm the CEO. No one tells me what to do whenever. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he's right and I'm sure they have many meetings and, and probably if there's a, a big problem, they have to be there and, and they take responsibility. It's really
1: hard to tell your boss, I'm not going to answer you because I am practicing my right to disconnect.
3: But you don't have to call it the right to disconnect. It's just nonsense. If your boss is an asshole and he's going to call you each week five times at 11 o'clock in the night. Well, change bosses. But um, my boss, for example, I think I, she's been my boss now for five years. She maybe called me five times in those five years after, let's say eight o'clock, when there was really a problem. Mm-hmm. Not more. And and I know if she calls, I will answer because it will be important. But she won't call when it's not necessary. And it's a, it's a matter of respect. You just respect your colleagues, your employees, your boss, whatever. You don't, you don't call them. And- What's
1: the difference? Europeans have a respect for each other. <laughs> Americans, not so much. The question
2: is, will Europeans respect Facebook's new watch? That's the question. Europe has a bunch of countries in it. <laughs> Facebook is trying their damnedest to get into the hardware game again. Mm-hmm. Remember the Facebook phone?
1: Yeah. Uh, me neither. You remember the HTC Facebook button where you just pushed a button and you got on right, right that on. That was Facebook. so fucking bad. And portal. Who's got a portal in their house? Oculus looks cool.
2: I mean, if you're into Fortnite, celibacy, and Cheeto dust, it looks awesome. Yeah. But wearables with cameras <laughs> and vertigo
1: that- apparently is a thing with Oculus.
2: That's a spyware catastrophe waiting to happen.
3: Exactly. Why? Why would you need a watch with a camera on it? I mean, it's looking for trouble. Take selfies. You've got your iPhone with with two or three cameras on it already. Right. So, whenever someone is doing something stupid, you'll be able to film it. No worries. Why do you need a a watch?
2: Facebook is doing everything they can to get into hardware because they're afraid. I mean, they don't own quote-unquote the hardware side of the house, right? So, anybody can do whatever they want to their app whenever they whenever they want to.
1: Right. Apple is an existential threat as well as Google with Android to Facebook. And I think that we're seeing that in two ways. One is the percentage of, of money that Apple takes from apps. And the other is uh, Apple saying, you know what, if you don't want to be tracked by an app, then you can you can deny that. In our, in our phone. And let's be (laughs) honest that Facebook exists because they can track your behavior and what you do online. If they can't Uh. do that, their ability to make money is, is, is challenged to say the least. So they are trying desperately to get into hardware. They'd, they'd much rather you wear the Facebook, uh, watch and be able to take pictures and upload directly to Instagram then you use then you use an iPhone. Yeah, that's just the battle they're fighting.
3: Ah, if that's the case, then they are probably right. And I will never, ever allow such a watch in my home. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> the
1: question is, why wouldn't they call it the Instagram phone? Because at least that's a relatively cool brand as opposed to Facebook, which nobody younger than 20 wants to be a part of.
4: That's
2: true. Maybe. I still think you can see through that pretty easily. Not to mention, I mean, Instagram doesn't quite have the the traction that Facebook has had. Uh, but overall, I think anything coming out of Facebook right now is is toxic. It doesn't matter what it is; it, it is toxic. Other than mm-hmm. again, if you like playing
1: Fortnite, celibacy and Cheeto dust, you, you want an Oculus, right? So, other than that, I think you're good. Facebook and privacy in Europe is a huge deal, though. I mean, we don't we don't talk we talk about it in the U.S., but I don't think we act particularly from a government standpoint as you guys do. I mean, it's a huge issue there.
3: Do you still don't have a GDPR in uh, the U.S. We no. do not. Not at all. Nothing at all.
1: Probably never will.
3: Okay. Uh, I <laughs> um, the way it was execu- executed, it was terrible. I mean, GDPR is a it's a terrible law, in my opinion, and, and it's made many consultants very rich, and it didn't, in the least, influence the amount of spam I get. So people are now constantly having to push the button. I consent to accept cookies, blah, blah, blah. And in the end, they do. So nothing's changed. But at least the government tried to, to make those big companies behave. And I was having um, a conversation with my boss, the CEO of House of HR, about probably privacy will be a luxury. You have to pay for privacy. And it's already the case. If you want to accept uh, commercials, then Spotify is free. If you don't want commercials, you have to pay. So it's not only about accepting commercials. It's about not selling your own data. Yeah. So if you want to keep your own data to yourself, you'll have to pay. You'll have to buy a brand like an iPhone, which will block it. And maybe the Facebook watch will be cheaper and they will constantly follow you around. And with stuff like TikTok on it, I I think it's terrible. It was pinging your location. You still,
2: you still have to trust, you still have to trust the company. And that is just, that's, that's a bridge too far. And we're in a paradox right now, unfortunately, because we have a bunch of politicians who don't even know how to spell AI, let alone what the fuck it does. Right. So overall, overall. We are screwed because we know that the the we can't trust the organizations. We can't trust Facebook to actually uh, manage itself to be able to regulate itself. We can't trust them. There's no fucking way I will ever trust them to do that. But I can't. Also, think of Louis Gobert or whatever the fuck that dude's name is here in 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 our edge of the world who doesn't even know how to spell AI. I mean, that's kind of the paradoxical situation that we're in right now. And it sucks
1: as a general idea. How do you guys feel about wearables? I mean, smart glasses, earphones, watches does anything work it feels like the ear thing could will be a thing like the the, you know we'll be talking to uh virtual girlfriends like Joaquin Phoenix in the movie her I mean VR AR ears eyes wrists does it does any of it work for you guys or not I don't have a watch I use headphones of course I don't have smart glasses
3: I do have an Apple watch and I never use it never because the bloody thing keeps telling me stuff I don't want to know and it (laughs) it's it's intrusive and it's it's basically it's ugly but um i bought it because because of the hype one day but yeah. uh i use it and about those variables like google glasses um maybe in specific surroundings if you're a mechanic and you're looking at a difficult machine and you yeah. can use Google glasses to see the manual why not uh, there's a, a case Schematics. Yeah, but just uh, in my home, uh, watching the wall, uh, through my Google glasses, seeing something nobody else can see, why, why should I?
1: So it sounds like until we get our Elon Musk brain chip, uh, all these wearables are going to fail.
3: How do you guys feel about Elon Musk? We in Europe think he, sh- he should be our president, but... Uh- <laughs>
2: That is one crazy motherfucker. President of Europe. That sounds about right. I'd say, you know, if you guys actually had him as, uh, you know, like president of the EU or something like that, you guys could actually catch up to those three to five years you're behind.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think Facebook wristwatches will be a thing before Europe becomes unified. And with that, the first one is in the books, Chad. leaving. thanks for joining us. We We out.
3: out.
4: We out. Thank you for listening.